as journal editors, we're aware of the fact that we have a role to play in scientific discourse. That's why the BMJ has been so keen to talk about the way in which scientific knowledge is constructed through our evidence manifesto. We also know that there's this influence of money in the scientific literature, which again is why we have a zero-tolerance policy for financial conflicts of interest in our educational content. But where do we as general editors fit into this? The first step into investigating that is to find out if general editors receive payment from pharma and device companies. A new research published on bmj.com this week does just that. Welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor for the BMJ. And to find out more about that, earlier this week I talked to Jessica Liu, internist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto. She's also one of the authors of that study. Jessica, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us this afternoon. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, so, we've actually done quite a lot about the open payments database um, in the past in the journal, looking at who receives money from pharma. Um, but we've always focused it much more on the institutions and the individuals. Um, and what you've done is your team's looked at at journal editors who are registered on there and who have received payments. Um, why was it you decided that this group was worth looking at in this way? So my research focus is on healthcare quality improvement, in particular issues surrounding physician professionalism, physician discipline, uh, patient complaints and healthcare outcomes, mm. that kind of thing. And so this discussion of financial relationships between industry and physicians and the potential for conflicts of interest fit right in with all of my research. Um, I do have some colleagues and mentors who serve as co-authors who do similar research and they wanted to collaborate in this area as well. Um, as you know, um, a few years ago, we're from Canada, but a few years ago, our U.S. neighbors passed legislature that made it mandatory for pharmaceutical and medical device uh, maker industries to declare all financial payments to physicians. And these payments were not only public, but in a searchable online engine, which was just too interesting an opportunity <laughs> uh, for us not to explore. Sure. Um, why we chose to look at editors specifically uh, academic journal editors are sought-after positions, um, particularly at high-impact journals. Uh, they determine what research gets published, what gets promoted, and, you know, I might even argue that they have a role in shaping and defining the entire direction of, of healthcare and research. And so we wondered whether potential conflicts of interest in this group could be an issue above and beyond regular um, physician financial relationships with industry. Sure, I mean... And so for us, the first step would be to examine the general payments to editors and see what came of it. I mean, that makes sense. We're, we're aware of this in the BMJ, and that's why we have this, you know, um, position that anyone writing education articles for us, because we feel like they are very practice-changing, um, can't have a financial conflict of interest that might um, influence, you know, the, the direction that the advice in, in that article takes. I mean, I guess the other thing I would say is that you know, we, we were talking about how when an author like myself wants to publish a manus manuscript, there are pretty stringent author COI, like author conflict of interest disclosure policies. And so we wondered if the same were true for editors. And the more we looked into it, the more interested we got because, you know, for the most part, they aren't as stringent. So we thought this was pretty noteworthy and something we wanted to look into further. Great. 
Um, now, the database holds physician payments, um, but not all editors are doctors, and, and even those who are aren't necessarily practicing. Um, so how comprehensive is the, the data that you're looking at? I mean, were you able to tell as a percentage of, of the editorial staff or the decision makers in, in the journals that you looked at, how, how, you know, how much data were you able to get on, on those conflicts of interest payments? Um, so, 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 yes, our data was as comprehensive as we possibly could make it. Um, you know, our goal here was to have a list of editors that was to the best of our ability, you know, a list of individuals who had the significant publication decision-making responsibilities. And we found that there was such variation in the number of editors at each journal. You know, it varied in terms of their titles, their roles, and whether or not mm. they actually made decisions. So to try to address this, we actually emailed all of the editor-in-chiefs with a, a personalized list of editors that we had taken off of that journal's current masthead and and asked the EICs to add or delete editors as they see fit, depending on whether or not they played a substantial decision-making role in terms of publication. So that's one way we try to be as comprehensive as possible. Um, the point about not all editors being physicians, absolutely, I agree. And so we definitely kept track of which editors were open payments eligible and which ones weren't. I think out of uh, about... Out of 988 editors, 713 were eligible, so about 72%. And then of the eligible editors, about half of that received some kind of general payment. Okay, so I mean, you've taken a, a long time to do this, and, and obviously a lot of work's gone in there. And uh, people should go and have a look at the paper because there's a big table with all your results and everything in it. But um, could you give us a sort of prescient overview of, of what it is you're found? Sure. So we focused on general payments to physician editors um, in calendar year 2014. Uh, so we specifically looked at general payments, um, which included things like food and beverage, um, royalties, consulting fees, travel, uh, that type of thing. And what we found was that um, we found a couple of things. The first was that industry payments to journal editors are common and they are often quite substantial. Um, over half of all of our eligible journal editors receive some kind of general payment from industry. And very commonly, these values were, were not small. They weren't, um, they weren't a meal here or there, but they were general payments valued in at least the thousands, if mm. not the tens of thousands. In some cases, there were outliers that, uh, that were uh, certainly, but in some cases, they were quite large. Um, a couple of editors received greater than a million dollars U.S. in one calendar year, so so they were quite substantial. And then I, I think the second thing that we found was that there was a lot of variation um, between the general payments to editors depending on journal specialty. You know, we did find that certain certain specialties uh, had editors of their journals who received um, uh, greater payments than other specialty journal editors. Uh, for example, endocrinology and cardio. Uh, sorry, endocrinology, cardiology, gastroenterology, uh, rheumatology, these journal editors for specialty journals in these specialties uh, had greater general payments than, for example, uh, pathology journal editors or mm. family medicine uh, journal editors. 
that that makes total sense. Um, given the given the sort of the influence of money in those uh, different specialties, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. From a slightly naval gazing point of view, where did the BMJ come in terms of um, our editorial staff and how we compared to to others, other journals? <laughs> it's interesting because the uh, open payments database is limited to uh, to United States physicians. Of course. So, um, so, so, BM, so in terms of BMJ, we weren't able to look at that, but that would be interesting too. Mm. Um, I mean, we are, Fiona, our editor-in-chief, makes us uh, fill out a declaration of all of our, um, any money that we might receive, you know, if we have, if we have stocks or, or whatever in a, in a pharmaceutical company, um, which is published on our website. Do other journals do a similar thing? And I just wondered, were you able to, to match up um, between, you know, what, what was publicly available and, and the sort of data that you managed to get out of the database? So we looked into this, and we specifically looked into... Um, whether or not journals published um, conflict of interest policies for editors on their websites, like whether or not they were accessible. And we found that about a third of the journals um, did have an editorial conflict of interest policy posted. And uh, the way we did this was we actually set a smartphone timer and we we rationalized that for something to be accessible on the internet, it should be reasonably searchable within five minutes. And so we set our smartphone timers to five minutes and um, we looked for these editorial conflict of interest policies and found that about 30% of journals had them. Um, a- another couple of journals uh, strongly inferred that they had them. They were just not actually available online. But I will say that even when, even when they did have them posted, there was a lot of heterogeneity. They varied tremendously between journals in terms of, of what you have to disclose and um, and that you have to dis- disclose that they wouldn't mention specifically how um, such conflict of interest was eventually handled. And all of it was based on physician self-report, um, which is interesting. So mm. it's sort of all the honor system. Yes, yeah. Um, now, you said there's a lot of heterogeneity between payments to physicians, especially variation by specialty. Um, but I wondered, were you able to compare um, editors to the rest of the, the physician population and, you know, tell, was that, were you able to, to learn anything about, you know, pharma targeting that group in, in particular? Uh, we did. We did look at that. And, um, you know, Open Payments, the website also reports um, median and mean general payments by calendar year as well. So mm-hmm. we were able to compare payments to journal editors of a particular specialty journal with the specialty at large. Um, and overall, payments to journal editors uh, were overwhelmingly much larger than payments to doctors of that specialty. So, for example, editors of um, endocrinology journals uh, were paid median payments uh, on the order of seven thousand U.S. dollars, compared to five hundred and fifty dollars for all uh, endocrinologists listed in the Open Payments database, and that relationship uh, held true in general for all of the specialties we looked at. And so, and so, does that tell us anything about who the pharmaceutical industries are targeting? I think so. I think it's it's only speculation, but it might tell us that 
editors of prestigious academic journals are considered highly influential. And because of that, they may be considered attractive to industry as thought leaders for their profession. Hmm. Um, now, what you've not been able to do in, in this um, is link any you know, payments or anything to um, an outcome from that, you know, a, a decision about what to publish or, or what to include in a, in a review article or something. Um, is that something that you think you would like to do or needs to be done? You know, we haven't yet pursued this. We haven't actually looked at whether editorial relationships with industry have uh, specifically influenced publication decisions. Um, you know, I think it, it may need to be done. But that said, we, we aren't looking to target specific positions or particular specialties. Um, that's really not the goal of, of this paper. We're more interested in understanding overall patterns and relationships and to call more attention to the heterogeneity and editorial conflict of interest policies and the impact and the impact this might have in general, I think, I think in an ideal world with um, things like stringent journal recusal policies for editors and other measures out there to handle such editorial potential conflicts, publication decisions would not be affected by editorial relationships with industry. But, um, but it's not really clear at this point. And our point is that. Sometimes even the appearance of conflict can be can be damaging to the whole research enterprise. Mm. Um, and you weren't able to to tell from from some journal websites how those conflicts of interest um, were being were being dealt with, whether editors recused themselves from from certain decisions. Um, and I suppose that's something else that that journals should be more transparent about. Oh, absolutely. You know, the assumption is that is that they have policies in place and that and that editors, if there is a potential conflict of interest, would recuse themselves. But, um, you know, it isn't always 100 percent transparent. And sometimes it's not even about uh, about financial remuneration by industry. Uh, sometimes there are compelling other conflicts um, that are potentially at play other than money. Right. Mm. So. Um, so it can be kind of difficult to tease everything out. But a good starting point would be to have um, very transparent uh, policies in place for when these potential conflicts arise. Mm. And not only that, but just also the extra effort uh, to show it, particularly in academ academia. You've been listening to Jessica Liu talk about the research Payments by U.S. Pharmaceutical and Medical Device Manufacturers to U.S. Medical Journal Editors a retrospective observational study. That's all for this podcast. A few months ago, we published an analysis asking is there a good evidence base for the course of antibiotic treatment? And we'll be back next week talking to the authors of that study, as well as some of the researchers who look into that to find out more. Subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. We're in most places now. As always, please do rate and review us. It does let us know what you like, and it helps others to find us too. If you like this and you want more free content, then have a look at bmj.com podcasts. There you'll find years worth of podcasts, literally hundreds of episodes, all available for free. Thanks for listening.